We are in a series of lessons entitled The Call to Discipleship. Six times throughout his teaching ministry, Jesus made a statement something like this. If you want to be my disciple, then... And he told us something. Something is expected of us as Christ followers. If... Then, Jesus' call to discipleship requires some things of us. Now, last Sunday, we took a closer look at the first of these discipleship requirements, the abiding principle from John 8, verses 31 and 32. This morning, we're going to zero in on the second of these discipleship requirements, and that's the producing principle from John 15, verses 1 through 17. Follow along in your Bible as I read today's text. John 15, we pick it up with verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Some branches, such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands, and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. The call to discipleship, the second test of an authentic, genuine Christ follower is the producing principle here in John chapter 15. Let's begin today's lesson by looking at the Scripture together. Now undoubtedly, the key verse here in our text is John 15 and verse 8. Let's read it out loud together. Would you read it with me? This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be My disciples. The New Living Translation translates the verse this way, When you produce much fruit, you are My true disciples. This brings great glory to My Father. The question then is, how do we show that we are truly disciples of Jesus Christ? And the answer is, when we produce much fruit. The producing Principle. Now, this principle is certainly not confined to this passage here in John chapter 15. On the contrary, we find the producing principle, this standard of fruitfulness, reinforced throughout the entire New Testament. 
In Matthew 3 and verse 8, Jesus told us to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, if we've truly repented of our sins, it will be seen in the fruit that comes out of that life-changing decision. Just a couple of verses later, Matthew 3 and verse 10, Jesus said, The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. <laughs> Pretty harsh warning there. Then in Matthew 7, verses 16 through 20, Jesus elaborates even further. By their fruit you will recognize them. Now the them here in that context are false prophets or fake disciples. By their fruit you will recognize them, Jesus says. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Simply put, each and every one of us as a person is known by the fruit that we produce. You remember that story when Jesus cursed the fig tree? Remember that story? Matthew 21.19 condenses the story a bit this way. It says, Seeing a fig tree by the road, He went up to it but found nothing on it except leaves. Then He said to it, May you never bear fruit again. And immediately, the tree withered. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, actually the parallel accounts in Mark and, and Luke tell us that it was actually the next day as they traveled back by that tree again that the apostles noticed that it was withered. In fact, it was dead all the way to its roots. Now, whatever else this unusual story about this fig tree may teach us, it certainly points out that Jesus expects fruitfulness <laughs> even from a fruit tree Jesus taught the principle this way in Luke 13 verses 6 and 7 a man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if he could find any fruit on it but he always was always disappointed finally he told his gardener to cut it down I've waited three years there hasn't been a single fig he said why bother with it any longer it's taking up space we can use for something Else. Now again, Jesus expects fruitfulness. He expects productivity from us. Paul writes in Romans 7 and verse 4, Now you belong to the risen Savior and Lord Jesus Christ in order that you might what? Produce fruit for God. Again, our purpose as Christ followers is to produce fruit. Fruit. Paul put it this way, Colossians 1 and verse 10. Live the kind of lives that prove you belong to the Lord. Then you will want to please Him in every way as you grow in producing every kind of good fruit. The producing principle. It's the second test by which we can determine whether or not we are truly Jesus' disciples. And to help us understand this principle even better, let's just work our way verse by verse through today's text. Would you do that with me? We're going to just work our way through these 17 verses. Now, before we begin with John 15 verse 1, let me just say a word about the context of Jesus' teaching here. Jesus had just been in the upper room with His apostles celebrating the Passover, or what we refer to as the Last Supper. He had washed the apostles' feet, instituted the Lord's Supper, communion, 
talked openly about his betrayal by Judas and his denial by Peter, and then he'd comforted his apostles by promising the Holy Spirit would come. And then in the last verse of John 14, Jesus says, Come now, let us leave. (laughs) And from the accounts in the other Gospels, we understand that Jesus and His apostles sang a hymn together. And then they left the upper room, cutting across Jerusalem heading east. They would have passed through the interior valley gate and the Holder gate before exiting through the main wall at the Golden Gate. And with the temple rising over the walls of Jerusalem directly behind them, they made their way northeast, stopping just shy of the Mount of Olives as they arrived there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And along the way, undoubtedly, they came across a grape arbor or a small vineyard I've been there and there are vineyards all over that hillside. And Jesus, being the master teacher, uses this opportunity to teach. (laughs) That brings us then to verse 1. Look at it again with me. I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. And so Jesus begins by reminding His apostles and us that He is the true vine and God the Father is the gardener. Now let's touch on those two briefly, each analogy. First, Jesus is the vine. Simply put, He is the main vine planted firmly in the ground through which all of the vineyard's life flows. It is through this vine that nourishment flows in order that the branches might bear fruit. Now I believe it's significant that Jesus calls Himself the true Vine. Don't overlook that. Obviously to distinguish himself from other vines, huh? Which are not the real deal. Other so-called vines that are false or phony. In other words, as branches, that's what we are, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment, we must be careful that we are connected to the one and only true vine. That's Jesus. And then second... Jesus says God the Father is the gardener. The Greek word here refers to the vine dresser or the husbandman, in our modern day terminology, the vintner or the vigneron. In the 21st century, the wine dresser or winemaker often has a graduate degree in viticulture, the science of growing, nurturing, and harvesting grapes. Well, obviously, God, the Creator, knows anything and everything there is to know about vineyards, about caring for vines and branches. And the picture that Jesus paints here is that God the Father, the gardener, is the one who is in control. This is His vineyard. This vine and branches are His very own. Jesus goes on in verse 2. He, the gardener, God, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now again, we we are the branches, right? And as we attempt to grasp what Jesus is teaching here, I think it's important that we just stop for just a moment and time out and identify the three kinds of branches mentioned in today's text. Three of them. Don't miss them. First of all, there are branches producing no fruit. That's the beginning of verse 2 and verse 6. Secondly, there are branches producing some fruit. The end of verse 2. And then thirdly, there are branches that produce more or much fruit. Verses 5 and 8. Now, notice what happens to the branches that bear no fruit at the beginning of verse 2. It says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. 
Verse 6 takes it a step further. A branch that is thrown away and withers, such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Ooh. <laughs> Now, there's a lot of debate around this issue, but I believe that Jesus is referring to non-Christians here. They may be believers, but they are not disciples. Hear me on that. They may be attached to the vine momentarily or you know, superficially, but they are, they've never abided in the vine. If they were truly disciples abiding in the vine, then they would produce at least some fruit because each and every disciple of Jesus Christ produces fruit. No exceptions. You with me? But in this case, there's no fruit whatsoever. A sure indication that these people were never actually abiding in the vine in the first place. From a vintner's point of view, okay, understand this from a gardener's point of view, these so-called branches are called sucker branches. You know what a sucker branch is? Yeah, those of you that have gardened know what that is. Can you picture what Jesus is talking about here? Every gardener knows that these suckers have got to be cut off because they have no purpose other than to sap energy from the fruit-bearing branches. And so God the Father cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Branches that bear no fruit. Notice the finality of the judgment here. It's not like after they've been thrown in the fire and burned, they're going to come back. (laughs) Then there are branches that bear some fruit. They're not as fruitful as they could or should be, but there is at least some fruit present. So what does the gardener, the vine dresser, God do in such a case? The end of verse 2 answers, He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. This word prune, by the way, is a common term in gardening. I mean, in viticulture, the husbandman or the, the vine dresser will prune a grapevine in three Ways. Let me talk about them real quick. First of all, there's pinching. This was done by hand or with a small knife or pruning scissors. The 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 still happens today in vineyards. The the vine dresser goes by and cuts off any new growth, any new sprouts, any unwanted whys in the branches in order to redirect the growth and the energy back to root development and the health of the branch. Does that make sense? And then there's topping. This was done by a sickle or a shear. Sometimes today it's done by machine. You get rid of all that top growth. You ever been by one of those vineyards that's just going wild and, and the, the, the branches are just going everywhere? They, they come along and they take the top growth off because that's going to only steal the nutrients from the undergrowth where all the fruit is. And then finally there's thinning. This was done carefully by hand with a small knife or pruning scissors. They go along the, the vines and they trim out some of the other branches so that the sun and the, and the fresh air can get to the main branches so that they will bear even more fruit. And why does the vendor prune the fruit-bearing branches in this way? Jesus answers, so that it will be even more Fruitful. Now, if you haven't picked up on this <laughs> yet, let me point out to you that the bottom line here today is 
fruit bearing. God, the vine dresser, is looking for fruitfulness. He desires each and every branch, us, abiding in the vine, Jesus, to produce as much fruit as is possible. I'm going to turn this off and just use this. I don't know why it's doing that all of a sudden. So I don't know, you may have to turn me up here, I don't know. So He prunes us, He disciplines us in order that we may produce abundant, overflowing fruit in our lives. Verse 3, at this point Jesus says to His 11 apostles around Him, by the way, Judas Iscariot, the one fruitless disciple, (laughs) you with me? He was not here. He was off making arrangements to betray Jesus into the hands of the Jews. So Jesus turns to His eleven fruitful apostles and says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. This word clean is the same word as prune in verse 2. In other words, Jesus is declaring that these 11 apostles have already gone through the pruning process, disciplined by Jesus' own words or teaching. Verses 4 and 5. Let's take a look at them together. In fact, let's read them out loud together. Remain in Me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in Me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in Me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from Me... Where am I? Apart from me, where am I? Uh, I don't know where I ended up. <laughs> uh, apart from me, you can do nothing. We're on verse 6. How can we get way up there? Something's stuck. That's it. Is that it? <laughs> so, apart from me, you can do it. Well, verse 6, that's where we're going to be now. We okay? Yes. Okay. Good. All right. I said we'd stop and give a little update there. <laughs> we already commented on this verse. Let me just read it real quickly again. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. The finality of judgment upon those who superficially attach themselves to the vine, who go through the motions and the pretense just like Judas Iscariot did. And for such believers who never actually abide in the vine, who never actually become disciples of Jesus Christ, the story of their lives does not end well. Verse 7. Don't miss Jesus' amazing promise here. If you remain in Me, And my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Really? (laughs) Did Jesus mean that? Yeah, Uh, yeah, if we understand the proper context here, the disciple who's abiding in Jesus and in His Word, and Jesus in His Word is abiding in him or her, that disciple can ask for whatever he or she wishes, and it will be given to them. I mean, how could Jesus say that? Simply because he understood that a person who's truly abiding in him and his word is never going to ask for anything that's ever contrary to that abiding relationship. Are you with me? He or she is living in the very center of God's will and therefore will the whatever you wish is only going to be in the center of God's will. And so whatever you ask for, God will give it according to His will and purpose. Which brings us again to today's key verse, verse 8. 
This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. I mean, one for sure way to bring glory to God, anybody here want to do that? <laughs> is to produce much fruit. As we are abiding in the vine, Jesus, the natural outgrowth of that abiding relationship is fruit, much fruit. This is one of the six tests by which we show or prove ourselves to be true disciples, genuine, authentic Christ followers. The gardener, the vine dresser, the husband, the vintner, God, is glorified as we live by this producing principle. As we produce much fruit. Verses 9-11. through 11. Let's consider them together. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now the bottom line of these verses is pretty simple. Once again, if we want to experience real, complete joy, it's only going to come from abiding in Jesus and His Word. Does that make sense? Jesus Himself, in fact, set the example for us. Notice that's what He says here. Just as He abided in His Father and His love and obeyed His Father's command, so we are to abide in Jesus and His love and obey Jesus' command. Jesus is not asking us to do here any more than He Himself has done. The only way to experience complete joy, true satisfaction, and fulfillment. Which brings us to verses 12-15. through 15. My command... Is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. In a nutshell, these verses just expand upon that special, unique love relationship we share with Jesus as Christ followers. As we abide in the vine, Jesus and His Word, His teachings and commands, it really boils down to one commandment, notice, love each other as I have loved you. By the way, this is in fact the third requirement or test of true discipleship. We call it the loving principle. And next Sunday we're going to be studying about that in detail from John 13 verses 34 and 35. But for today, just notice the self-sacrificing quality of this love. Greater love has no man than this, that He lay down His life for His Friends, and that's exactly what Jesus did for us. In doing so, He called us friends. Isn't that amazing? Not, not servants. He called us friends. Whoa. Verse 16, You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Thus, then the Father will give you whatever you ask for in My name. Now notice that Jesus chose us. <laughs> he made the first move by giving Himself as a sacrifice, dying on the cross to pay the price for our sin that we ourselves could never have paid. And not only did He choose us, but He also appointed us to do something. What did He appoint us to do? To go and bear fruit. (laughs) Fruit that will last. Here it is again, the producing principle. And with it, the promise once again, the Father will give you whatever you ask for in My name. And so Jesus 
ends this whole section by saying once again, this is my command, love each other. And once again, we'll look specifically at the loving principle in next Sunday's lesson. Well, that's a look at the Scripture. Now, what lessons can we learn from the producing principle this morning? As we've worked our way verse by verse through John 15, 1-17 today, and it seems as though, I hope we've done a fair job of that, there are four key questions that we need to ask ourselves in self-examination in light of this text and the producing principle today. Let me just give those to you real quickly. You still with me? Everybody with me? I know we kind of got distracted this morning. I did. My heart goes out to Lori. So, you know, it's kind of hard just to be up here doing this. But this is so important, this stuff. I hope we're getting it. Four questions. The first one is, I can't see it. Am I abiding in the vine? Am I abiding in the vine? Back to verses 1 and 2 again. I am the true vine. My Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Again, the question is, am I... This is what we need to ask ourselves. Am I abiding in the vine? Am I securely remaining and continuing in Jesus? And I believe we must not skim over this question very quickly. I mean, if nothing else, Jesus' words here in John 15 indicate that it is possible to be in, to be loosely, superficially connected to the vine without actually abiding in the vine. We're in danger of being one of those sucker branches that bears no fruit. Vineyards are full of them, and may I say, sadly, churches are full of them. Ouch. They look pretty and healthy. You ever notice that? They're all green, covered with leaves. But there's no fruit. They go to church, they read their Bible, pray, give, serve. They may even tie on fake fruit so they can fool other people. (laughs) They've got religion, but there's no relationship. Now again, Judas Iscariot was like that. He was numbered with the twelve, but he never was really a true disciple. And in the end, there was betrayal and death. He was thrown into the fire and burned, as Jesus says in verse 6. So in all of this, read 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5 out loud with me. Would you read this? Check up on yourselves. Are you really Christians? Do you pass the test? As you abide in Christ, do you feel Christ's presence and power more and more within you? Or are you just pretending to be Christians when actually you aren't at all? Ooh. That's what I'm talking about here. This is why we believe, I believe we can't just skim over this question. We've got to ask ourselves, am I really, am I abiding in the vine? And if you can't answer that question with confidence this morning, you've got some business to do in your relationship with God. Chew on that. The first question from John 15 of the producing principle is this. Am I abiding in the vine? The second question is, am I producing fruit that God desires? Am I producing the fruit God desires? I mean, if you haven't noticed, John 15 is all about fruitfulness. 
producing fruit. This fruit comes about as the byproduct of abiding in the vine. Let me say this again. We've simply got to get our arms around this one. The fruit comes as a byproduct of abiding in the vine. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we get all stressed out and we grit our teeth and we begin to think and act like we're the ones who are supposed to produce the fruit. Oh, i got to produce fruit. Ah! No. It's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to abide in the vine. Don't miss that. Our focus is to be abiding in Jesus and in His Word. And it is through that abiding relationship that God, through the vine, Jesus, produces fruit in the branches, you and me. So don't get focused on the fruit. Get focused on abiding. You with me? Now the obvious question at this point is, what exactly does this fruit look like? that we are to produce. And the Bible indicates there's two different kinds of fruit. The first kind is people fruit. That is, as disciples, we produce fruit when we produce other disciples. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, the marching orders of the church, Jesus said, Go then to all the peoples everywhere and make them My disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Simply put, as disciples, we are to reproduce ourselves. We're to make new disciples. We're to bring others into a saving and abiding relationship with Jesus. Folks, this is nothing more than the universal law of reproduction. Do you know the universal law of reproduction? Set in motion clear back in Genesis chapter 1 where God said to the creation, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that produce fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And then He finally ended up by saying, be fruitful and increase in number. Yeah. That's the universal law of reproduction right there. In the physical creation, the plants, the animals, the birds, the fish, the, the, even humankind, God decreed that everything He created should reproduce according to their various kinds. Now that isn't difficult for us to understand. You don't need a sex education lesson from me. I mean, apples produce apples. Cows produce cows. Trout produce trout. Humans produce humans. <laughs> the universal law of reproduction also applies to the spiritual, by the way. Disciples produce disciples. Christ followers reproduce Christ followers. People fruit. See how that works? But then there's also character fruit. Character fruit. Let's read Galatians 5, 22 and 23 out loud together. Would you read it with me? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know those verses. As we abide in the vine, as we remain and continue in Jesus and His Word, the Holy Spirit who lives in us will produce this character fruit in our lives. And the bottom line is we will become more and more Christ-like. That's what we're talking about here. Becoming Christ-like in our character and behavior. Character fruit. 
So what exactly is this fruit that we are to produce? Both people fruit, other disciples, and character fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus' call to discipleship, the producing principle, involves both kinds of fruit here. If we're truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, we will see people coming to know and follow Jesus Christ through us, and others will then take note of our Christ-like character as we become more full of joy and love and peace and patience and so on. Am I producing the fruit God desires? Now the second application, I'm going to run late here. (laughs) So just buckle your seatbelt because we're here for a few more moments. Because the second application question also calls us to examine the quality and the quantity of our fruit. First of all, look at the quantity of our fruit. Once again, Jesus instructs us in John 15, verses 5 and 8, If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear what? Much fruit. Don't miss that. This is to my Father's glory that you bear what? Much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Don't miss those words. Much fruit. As we learn back in verse 2, the gardener God is wanting us to be even more fruitful The point is we must never ever be satisfied with our productivity. We can never be content with our past fruit. Yeah, I bore fruit once. I remember that. (laughs) Nor can we be comfortable with the present fruit in our lives. The productivity principle requires us to be even more fruitful. Much, much fruit. And then there's the quality. Is that what's up there next? The quality of our fruit. Yeah. Got to at least mention this. It's an easy phrase to overlook, but I believe it's critical to a correct understanding of the productivity principle. Jesus instructed us in John 15 and verse 16, I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. What does it say? Fruit that will last. Notice that? Fruit that will last. In other words, good fruit, not bad fruit. Real fruit, not phony fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the flesh. If we are producing people fruit, other disciples, and character fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, we can be sure that our fruit is good and that it will last. But I've got to at least mention the quality, because Jesus did. So the second question from John 15, the producing principle is this, am I producing the fruit God desires? Number three, am I allowing God to prune me? (laughs) Am I allowing God... To prune me. Hmm. Once again, Jesus teaches at the end of verse 2 and verse 3, every branch that does not bear fruit He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean, there's the word pruned, because of the word I have spoken to you, Jesus says again. It compels us to ask the question, am I allowing God... To prune me. As we learned a moment ago, a vintner will prune a branch by pinching, topping, or thinning. Are we allowing the gardener, God, to prune and discipline us in these ways? Is, is he pinching off? Are we allowing him to pinch off those new sprouts and growth to strengthen our root system and branch? Is he topping off the branches and the offshoots that he doesn't want to sap out any of the nourishment that we're receiving from the vine Jesus? Is he thinning out the branches and leaves so that we can benefit from the sun, the air, and the rain? Do we we trust God to choose where to prune us? Better yet, am I yielding? Am I surrendering to His pruning process? Let me put it this way. Where in your life right now is God wanting to prune you and you're going, God, not there. 
Not that. There's some things that God's wanting to thin out of your life. There are some things He's wanting to lop off as He tops it. There are some things He's wanting to, to prune. And you're going, no! I like that. And it may even be a good thing, by the way. But God just doesn't want it in your life anymore because He knows there's something better. Well, I just want you to think about that one. That's one you've got to chew on for a little bit. Let me just quickly go through this. How does God prune us? Well, quite often He does it by the Word, the Bible. In fact, let's read Hebrews 4 and verse 12 out loud together. Would you read this one with me? His powerful Word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's Word. God oftentimes prunes us by His Word. That makes sense? Another way God prunes us or disciplines us is through hardship or affliction. Hebrews 12 puts it this way, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more... Should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His what? Holiness, Holiness, yes. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Isn't that right? (laughs) But painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Enough said. Third question from John 15, the producing principle is this, am I allowing God to prune me? I want you to chew on that one this week. One last question. Am I enjoying the blessings of fruitfulness? As we worked our way through John 15, I picked up on three specific blessings that come from the producing principle. Three incredible values or benefits that are ours to enjoy. Did you catch them? Let me give them to you real quick. The blessing of answered prayer. Again, Jesus promises in verse 7 and in verse 16, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask for in My name. (laughs) Simply put, if we're abiding in the vine, Jesus in His Word, living at the very center of His will and purpose each and every day, we may enjoy this blessing of answered prayer. (laughs) What an incredible blessing. Then there's the blessing of glorifying God. Again, John 15 and verse 8 tells us, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Simply put, as we produce much fruit, fruit that will last, both people fruit and character fruit, God is glorified. Isn't it a wonderful blessing to know that our life is giving God glory? And then thirdly, there's the blessing of complete joy. I can't tell where I'm at. For some reason. The shadow is bad today. The blessing of complete joy. I've told you this, Jesus says, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Verse 11. Here's the bottom line. If we want full, complete joy, not the superficial happiness or the temporary pleasure that this world gives, but the real, abundant, lasting joy and fulfillment that only Jesus gives is going to come only as we abide in the vine. 
allowing the gardener, God, to prune us and shape us into what He wants us to be and producing much fruit that will last, people fruit and character fruit, because that is the only way I know of to experience true joy. So the fourth question from John 15, the producing principle is this, am I enjoying the blessings of fruitfulness? I'm just going to let that stay right there. The call to discipleship. This morning, even amidst all the distractions, I probably was the most distracted. We've looked at Jesus' teaching here in John 15 and the producing principle. The second test of the authentic, genuine Christ follower. How do you measure up to the producing principle today? 